Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Share Radio's thought for this week is called Health and the Economy. And it starts with a 2018 quotation from our new Chancellor, Jeremy Hunt, when he was Health Secretary. I've been making the NHS's case that we need significant and sustainable funding increases to meet the demographic challenges we face. And the Prime Minister completely appreciates that. At first sight, you might think that the title of our thought for this week should be Health of the Economy, rather than Health and the Economy, but please bear with us. Let's first discuss the problem. The former Chancellor's proposals in his mini-budget were like a sugar-coated pill. The sugar-coating was the reduction in the basic rate of income tax, now cancelled, and cancelling national insurance increases. But the real work to achieve supply-side growth, rather than foment demand-led overheating, was to be done by cancelling that increase in corporation tax and abolishing the top rate of income tax, both of which have now also gone. The mini-budget was supposed to drive investment and growth through exports, even if there were major questions over workforce capacity, as we noted three weeks ago. However, we're now left with just part of the sugar coating, accompanied by at least £20 billion of potential extra borrowing costs. And we have to avoid overheating an already stretched economy with inflation and still higher interest rates. This is why balancing the books must be done. There are routes to growth in the medium term, as we proposed on the 26th of September. But the first priority is to restore fiscal balance so far as possible. And we're still at least £20 billion short on that. So this is where health comes in. And we're fortunate to have in the new Chancellor the longest-serving former health secretary in British political history. Government spending on health and social care is colossal and growing, as he stated in his quotation. And as we noted last week, it is primarily driven by thoroughly outdated socialist ideas of universal, free-at-the-point-of-delivery provision. It's time to crack our addiction to 70 years of electoral bribery, a system that handicaps targeted help to the most needy, while at the same time giving free service to those who are well able to pay for their own needs, cannot be described as anything other than electoral bribery. In any case, there's little left for the Conservatives to lose in terms of voting intentions, so now is definitely the time to correct 
this 70-year-old injustice, first introduced by the post-war Labour government. Health spending is expected to account for £167.9 billion in 2022-23, or 41% of all central government departmental expenditure. In 2020, it was just over 7% of GDP, but it increased sharply in response to COVID-19 to over 10% of GDP in 2021. There are approximately 8 million people in the United Kingdom with active private medical health insurance policies, accounting for about 13% of the population. And about 53% of people say they would like to invest in some form of health insurance scheme for their employees or for themselves and their families. However, private health insurance is primarily taken out as an employee benefit which falls away at retirement, precisely the stage when healthcare demands start to increase significantly. Research published by Statista provides the age distribution of adults with private medical health insurance throughout the United Kingdom in 2017. It shows how the percentage of cover drops from 25% in the 45 to 54 age group to 16% for 55 to 64s, 11% for 65 to 74s, and then just 5% for those aged 75 and over, precisely at the stage when the demands of healthcare costs are at their highest, the state is left carrying this burden. Using finished consultant episodes as a yardstick and excluding birth impact, the average quantum of healthcare by annual cohort more than doubles from 140,482 for those aged up to 64 to 299,352 for those aged 65 and over. If that £167.9 billion cost is broken down on the same basis, the average cost of looking after the 10 million people in those 30 years of old age is the same as looking after the 37 million people aged up to 65. Private medical insurance for those aged 70 or over is not cheap. Speaking from experience, for a relatively healthy couple, it can be estimated at about £7,500 per annum. But where retirement follows a successful working life, in terms of both income and capital, there is a significant proportion of the population who could reasonably be asked to carry this burden. Office for National Statistics figures show that the median individual wealth rises from £138,346 across the ages 16 to 64 to £305,099 for people aged 65 and over. It is certainly not beyond the wit of HM Treasury mandarins to work out how to determine those able to pay these premiums. NHS frontline services would not be affected by these arrangements because those paying premiums would still be able to call for health care free at the point of delivery. But NHS accountants 
would be able to draw down payments from their private medical insurers to meet the costs of care for those for whom this cover was required. Greater use may well impact their premiums, so no doubt people will also be encouraged to stay fit and healthy in body and mind for as long as possible. Because the impact of healthcare costs is so weighted in favour of the elderly, I would estimate that most of Jeremy Hunt's £20 billion shortfall should be recoverable by this mandatory private health insurance for wealthy people. But more to the point, for those interested in intergenerational fairness, it will halt the injustice whereby young people are paying through their taxes for the health costs of those old folk who are well able to afford it. A final thought, and one which we have made on a number of occasions, including last week. If a programme of training for old age were to be introduced at retirement, we should be able to maintain a much improved standard of health for old people generally, thus significantly reducing the extent of those calls on the NHS at this stage of life. These courses could be offered by the private medical health insurers, who would need little encouragement from government to raise their profile. So, in the planning for the Chancellor's restoration of fiscal responsibility, we suggest bringing together his experience in both health and the economy in order to reduce significantly the burden of healthcare costs on the Exchequer.